like I said, we've been on this, this series, One Spirit, One Family, All Generations. And we started with link, how the generations are linked together. Last week, Pastor Bob talked about honor and how we can outdo each other in honor. And he built it off of Romans 12, 10, just saying, it is our job to not wait for honor to come to us, whether we, you know, think we can get honor by aging or whether we think we, you know, get honor just because of who we are, you know, we're loved, but to try and outdo each other in honor. And then today, though, we're going to talk about learn. And I was really excited to, to get to do this message um, because I love learning. Um, I love learning more about God. I love learning more about people, but specifically in the context of this generational series, um, I, I have this burden, I have this passion. It doesn't mean I'm doing it so well. It doesn't mean that I don't have any room to grow. But I really feel like generational unity is something that the church is supposed to do well. There's a lot of disunity outside our walls, but there's also disunity in here. And in some ways, we've adopted our culture's you know, the American culture's uh, mindset that as you age, you lose maybe some of your value. And, and so I really believe that God wants to pour his spirit out on us. Um, I believe he wants to pour his spirit on, on just his bride, his church, believers everywhere. I believe specifically for our church, he wants to pour out his presence. I believe he wants um, to give us revival. But I believe the generational unity is going to pave the way for that. Because I think about this, if God gives us this great gift, and it would be like somebody who maybe was, um, you know, really, really poor, and, and, they, and they got a million dollars. But if they have a poverty mindset they might squander that money. They might not know what to do with it, or maybe it would grab a hold of them, and, and they wouldn't be able to let it go, and there would be fears attached to it. And I feel like God wants to pour his spirit out on us, but will we steward it well? Will we be able to steward it well? Um, generational disunity, really, it's as old as time. And um, <laughs> I found this quote that supposedly was, you know, attributed to Socrates, and then I found out it was maybe this the Greek poet in, the, you know, 500 B.C. or something. But it's basically, um, it, it was a quote that was from writings of Greek philosophers and poets in, like, 500 B.C. that were saying how entitled and lazy the youth of their day were. Okay. So um, it's not a new thing that maybe that there's some, you know, a little bit of tension between the generations. And um, it's not uncommon, though, because, I mean, I think about it that if, you, if you're young in here, just think that in the 70s, there was this whole, like, free love movement. Okay, there was hippies, and they were just, you know, doing a lot of crazy things. But those people are now what younger people would consider the, their uptight, conservative grandparents, possibly. Okay, so as we age, sometimes we can, we can have this perception that the youth are, you know, lazy and entitled. And sometimes as, as youth, we can think, oh, those, those old people are, you know, so stiff in their ways. But we all have something to learn from each other. No matter what age we are, we can grow and we can learn from each other. And, I, and this thing is highlighted more in American and in the American church. Um, last, last month, I went to Ministers Fellowship International Conference for pastors, and um, I went to this workshop, and the pastor that was leading this workshop was um, from Nigeria. And it was about team unity, like your pastoral leadership team. 
And um, he's talking, he's just going through these bullet points. And then he has a Q&A at the end. And a lady raises her hand and asks, well, but okay, so how do we help generations get along in our church? How do we show the older people that they have value and that the younger people, that they don't have to wait until they're older? And he just looked at her and he said, oh, that's an American problem. I'm sorry. I don't have any help for you. Um, in my country, I get honor simply by getting older. He, and he, you know, he didn't have many gray hairs, but he said, as I get gray hairs, I get more honor. And that was kind of his answer to the lady. Um, I felt kind of bad for her. <laughs> but no matter our age, though, we can be guilty of judging the other generations. And we have to see that each person we can learn from each person. And if you take away anything from this message, if there, you know, everything kind of goes by the wayside, just remember, to learn, we must listen. Can you guys say that with me? To learn, we must listen. One more time. To learn, we must listen. Now, if you have ever been in any kind of a relationship, pastor, um, you know, um, pastoral relationship, you're trying to help somebody, if you've ever been in a marriage or just a relationship with somebody, maybe a parent, kid, friendship, any kind of relationship, there can be misunderstandings because you can hear someone but not really hear them, right? But listening says, I see you. Listening says you have value. Listening says your stories and your experiences and the things that you've gone through in your life, whether you're five years old or whether you're 80 years old, you, you have value. And I actually want to hear from you. So I value vulnerability and transparency. Um, if you guys, you know, you probably know that. Um, and I, I, I think that some of that is just me, but some of that is my age group. You know, we don't talk about it too much. We've talked about like boomers and millennials a lot, but there's this whole generation in the middle, guys, the Gen Xers. Any Gen Xers? <laughs> um, but we do. We value authenticity and, and vulnerability. Now, someone from an older generation might say, well, okay, but you look foolish or you're exposing yourself too much or people are going to lose respect for you. And Pastor Bob had this interesting perspective on it. And he said, you know, you like to get up and just kind of air all your dirty laundry and confess your faults in front of everybody or whatever. <laughs> but people from an older generation, they're still, they have like an accountability partner or they have someone that they go to and they're confessing their faults to. And it's two different ways of doing the same thing that the Bible tells us to do. One just might value, you know, I value being open, but older people might value their dignity a little bit more, and that's okay. So we've got to learn, you know, not everybody wants to talk about the things I talk about, and that's okay. The thing that I think is important and how it's tied into the whole, like, you know, I, I believe generational unity is going to pave the way for revival, though, is because every generation carries a unique revelation of who God is. Every generation carries a unique revelation of who God is. And if we dismiss a generation, whether they're older than us or younger than us, we dismiss a part of the character of God. We choose to say, I don't need to know that part of God. Um, there's this parable from India about this in books now, Elephant. And you might have heard it. Um, it's in like, you know, it's been made into children's books now. But it's about these six blind men who want to know what an elephant looks like. 
So finally, an elephant is brought to them, and because the elephant is so big, they can't all touch it all at once, right? They can't touch every part of it. So like one person touches the trunk, and one per person touches the ears, and another person touches the tusks, and another person touches the, the legs, and another person touches the tail. And what do you think happens? They all say, oh, this elephant, you know, must be this warrior. I mean, this thing that I'm feeling, I mean, it's like so sharp and, 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 and it must be this great warrior. And somebody else is touching the legs and they're saying, no, no, this, 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 thing, this elephant is immovable. It's like a tree. It's like a pillar. And this other guy's going like, I don't know what you're talking about. I've got this like snaky thing I'm holding on to. I... And so the point of the parable is that we all need each other's perspectives to get the whole picture. And I really believe with the generations, we need the whole picture of the character of God because I think he, he reveals himself uniquely to each generation. So we can't dismiss what God has done and how he's revealed himself, and we can't dismiss how he's revealing himself in new ways too. So if you can turn with me in your Bibles or your smartphones, I feel a little hypocritical up here because I have a smartphone. And um, in the middle school, I'm kind of a stickler. Last week, Pastor Bob was telling people like, oh, we don't need paper Bibles. Get over it. And I'm laughing because, you know, Kyle and Josh and I, um, I have this thing where I want there to be actual Bibles on the middle school table that kids can pick up and open up and, and find the scriptures to. So if you have a Bible of your own, great. We're going to go to Colossians 3. And we're going to start in um, verse 1. Isn't that nice, hearing those pages turn? Can you hear that? It's kind of nice. Um, I'm reading out of the NIV. But you can follow along no matter what. So he says, so since then you have been raised with Christ, set your heart on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And I, I had to, you know, take some of that out of my message, but I, I wanted to talk about this whole thing of like, um, you know, our old mindsets and my whole life is we are not just saying, you know, oh, I believe you died on a cross. We're saying my whole life is now yours. My whole heart is now yours. All my mindsets, all my ways of thinking, it's all yours. And you get to tell me how to think. And I want to adopt your way of thinking, the same way of thinking that is in heaven. Because when we all get to heaven, all the earthly parts of us are going to fall away. And we're all going to be in heaven together. And we're going to have to adopt the way of heaven and the thinking of heaven. Okay, let's skip down real quick um, to verse 11. Well, I could just start at 9, I guess. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here, so let's just, just, let's just imagine the here is in this building, okay? Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, Barbarian or Scythian. Barbarian just meant like a, an outsider. Scythians were actually savages. Slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. So let's just say, like here there is no traditionalist or boomer or Gen Xer or millennial or Gen Z or whatever the next generation is. Here we are all in Christ. So those labels 
don't necessarily help us. Those labels can cause divisions. Now, I understand, you know, when you have, Pastor Bob was talking about the shared experiences um, that each generation can have. And like I've already said, I believe that God reveals himself uniquely to each generation. But typically when we use those labels and when the early church was using those labels, it was like, well, I'm a Jew, but you're a Gentile. Well, I'm circumcised, but you're not. You know, I, you're, a, you're a barbarian or you're a Scythian or I'm free and you're a slave. They were used to make people feel better about themselves. They were used to divide and to segregate. So starting in verse 12, this is what I believe that Unity in any context looks like, but generational unity. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, that's who we are, we're God's chosen people, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all of these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, okay, we had a whole, gen- uh, a whole series on uh, one another and how we're all members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. Be thankful for the older generations, be thankful for the younger generations, be thankful for your generation. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You know, when, when somebody has a, has a kid, and, and I remember, um, it could even be adopted. I remember growing up, when I was in middle school, I had a friend, and she had a little brother, and I didn't know she was adopted. And so when I found out she was adopted, I remember saying, how could that be? She looks exactly like her mom. I mean, they both have like that tight, curly brown hair and the same eyes, and her brother looks exactly like the dad. How could that be? But when we have kids, we can do that. Like, oh, you look so much like your mom. Oh, you got a little bit of your dad in you. Oh, that attitude is definitely from your dad, you know. But we do that, and people should be able to do that about us, Oh, you got a lot of Jesus in you. Wow, when you did that, you look so much like God, your father. They should be able to do that with us. And I believe that this right here is what that looks like. So how do we begin to resemble Christ? How do we learn from one another? And I already said to learn, we must listen. But we have choices to make. In every single interaction that we have with each other, we have choices to make. And we can choose between these three things. I'm just going to go through three of them. We can lead with curiosity or condescension. When I say lead, I mean like lead into a conversation, lead into a way of thinking, a lead into a relationship. We can lead with curiosity or condescension. Two, we can listen. We can listen, but we can listen with compassion or we can listen with contempt. We can do all the right things on the outside, but it's what's going on on the inside. And then lastly, we can lean into connection. We can pursue connection or we can lean into competition with people of other ages and we can lean into, um, or lean into competition with them. So we're going to start with lead with curiosity. 
Curiosity is an attitude. And I love looking up definitions. I believe when I look up definitions, that's when God speaks to me. (laughs) So um, I'm a word person, so I, I love definitions and things like that. But curiosity is marked by a desire to learn and eagerness to know or learn something. Pretty much curious. So the next time, more. Can you guys say that with me? I want to know more. So the next time somebody's talking to you about how they, you know, vote differently than you or how their experience in life growing up was different than you, instead of shutting down and tuning them out, say, I want to know more. Tell me more about that. It's, it, curiosity has to do with asking questions, not forming judgments. It's kind of an adventure. So I look at it this way. If you have someone in your life who is offensive to you, if you have someone in your life who's just mildly irritating, Go on an adventure, go on a quest to find out why. Find out why they are the way they are. Find out about their childhood. Find out about their hurts. Find out about the past experiences they've had that that maybe have made them more guarded. Find out the why. Um, We can choose to learn or lead with condescension. And condescension is a, a patronizing or superior attitude towards others. It's disdain. It's an attitude that says... I know enough about you to judge you. I know, I know all I need to know. I don't need to know why you're like this. I just know I don't want to be around you. (laughs) That's what condescension says. Let's go to uh, James. Turn those pages, guys. James 4. James 4, 11 through 12. James 4, 11 through 12. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, sometimes I love the writing. You can just tell that there's so much intensity behind it or, you know, a little bit of attitude. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? That's in the Bible. (laughs) That wasn't me saying that. That's in the Bible. So um, leading with curiosity, here's what it looks like. Those conversation cards that we passed out a few weeks ago, um, we wanted those to be used as a tool to spark conversation between the generations. Here's some simple questions. If you took those home and put them in your bag or let them like die in your car somewhere, um, here's some questions that you can ask someone. Somebody who's 5, 10, 25, 35, 75, however old they are. Now, you might need to change some of the verbiage, but what was or what is your relationship with your parents and siblings like? Or what was it like for you growing up? Um, Where did you live growing up? Did you move a lot? Did you stay in one place? What's something from your childhood that impacted you? Maybe someone had a parent die. Maybe someone didn't. But what's something that, from your childhood that impacted you? Sometimes we think it's the big things like death or divorce. But a lot of times it's like something someone said to you on a playground when you were in third grade. And you're somehow still believing that lie. How did you come into a relationship with God? How did you come to know him? What made you want to give your life to him? Here's one that my kids and I will do. What's a mistake? Sometimes we ask them, you know, during that day. What's a mistake you've made today that you learned from? It's okay to make mistakes. We just want to learn from them. Um, What are you passionate about? What do you love and why? Here's something I think that is, is worth asking each other. What is a value from your life or your generation that you think is worth protecting or like passing on? 
that you might think is being threatened by another generation. Because a lot of times when, when there's, there's disunity among the generations, there is something of value that they want to see protected. Whatever that value is, it could be openness, it could be, you know, dignity, but whatever that thing is, we should find these things out about each other. Okay, to learn, we must listen. Let's say it again. To learn, we must listen. And when we're listening, we get to choose how to do it. So we, we should be listening with compassion, now, compassion is a, it's a feeling, it's an emotion. It's deep sympathy for another. It's this, it's this awareness that you're going through something, but it also is this desire to want to alleviate the pain. I want to help you. So compassion, if you're listening to somebody and they're talking, compassion says, I see you, I feel you, I want to help you. One of the things I was thinking of was, I feel your pain. If you're a Gen Xer, you remember, do anyone remember Bill Clinton saying that? I feel your pain. No, nobody remembers that? Okay, that's what I heard in my head. Anyways, compassion requires humility, patience, putting yourself in someone else's shoes. Um, it's, it's listening with an intent of understanding. You're trying to understand. You're not just letting the words come in and go out. Now, here's a little tip. Um, Pete and I, in our marriage, we've had to work on the listening thing. Um, I actually, today, I have a giving key on, and it has the word listen on it. The whole thing with the giving keys is you're supposed to pick a word that you are going to embrace, and then when you feel like you've embraced it, you're supposed to pass it on to somebody else. And when I got this key, I said, oh, I'm probably never going to get rid of this one. <laughs> I'm a talker, so I'm going to work on this for the rest of my life. Listener, in marriage coaching, you know, they, Dave and Marla will do the thing where someone is the talker and someone is the listener, and the talker gets to talk and the listener just has to sit there and try not to make faces, and try not to huff and puff and sigh, or roll your eyes, and then at the very end, you just get to say, thank you for sharing. And then you get to ask clarifying questions, okay? However, though, if listening is hard for you, Pete and I kind of worked through this, we figured this out, I would sometimes, he would come home, and I would sometimes, not every day, of course, I'm not like that, but sometimes, you know, you've had a hard day, and you just want to vomit emotionally all over the person walking through the door. This is the kind of day I've had. This is how things went. And, and him, I, I've heard, I guess, guys like to fix things. Him being a guy would want to uh, fix things. Like, well, that probably wouldn't have happened if you'd gotten up at 5 a.m. and read your Bible. Or, you know, just something like that. Oh, you didn't know what to make for dinner? Well, that's probably because you didn't go grocery shopping for the last three days when you had a chance. No, <laughs> it wasn't that bad. Um, <laughs> wasn't that bad. But you could see how it could be a little frustrating. So what I, I finally told him is I said, babe, I just need you to say nothing. And then I realized that's not what I needed him to say. All I need you to say after I've gone through my day is just say, wow, that must be hard. That's all I wanted him to say. Wow, that must be hard. So the first time I had him do it, he was like dying pretty much a little bit on the inside in front of me. And that must be hard, you know. But now it comes a little bit more freely. Now he's like, wow, that must be hard. And guess what? He actually sounds really compassionate when he says it. I don't know if he actually is, but he's getting really good at this. So you don't even need to use that on someone from another generation. Use that in all your relationships. It's, it's a good one. It's a good tip. Um, compassion preceded miracles that Jesus performed. I love that. If you go through the Gospels, there are so many instances where Jesus is performing a miracle and it talks about compassion right before. 
He saw the people that were lost like sheep without a shepherd, and he had compassion on them. He saw that they were hungry, and he had compassion on them, and he wanted to feed them. Well, he wanted to feed them, and he told his disciples, you do it. But he was trying to teach his disciples something. But he had compassion. You know, he would, he would cry. He had compassion on people, the blind beggars. He had compassion, and his compassion preceded miracles that he did. People got healed after that. Just imagine if we started leading with compassion, listening with compassion, what kind of relational miracles, physical healings and miracles, what might God want to do if we would just get a little compassion? Compassion is in the character of God. Turn with me to Lamentations. Does anyone know where that one is? Lamentations. And you know, for all the oldies, In here, I'm going to read it in the King James Version. My dad pretty much grew up thinking that the King James Version was the only, the only version. So that's that's what we memorized all of our Bible verses in, was King James Version. I like it because it's poetic. I do. Now, if you, if you, did a search on compassion, you would find it everywhere. It's the character of God. It's in his character. It's in his nature. So if you want to, go home today, just search, you know, verses about compassion and how many of them talk about God's character being compassionate. So Lamentations 3, 22 through 23 in the King James Version says, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. I love that. And seriously, please go home and look up compassion um, as far as the character of God because it's all over the Bible. Now, we can listen to someone and hear the words that are coming out. should be paid attention to, which is disregard um, for something that should be paid attention to. It's dishonor. It's disdain. It's a feeling that a person or thing is beneath your consideration or that they're deserving of scorn even. Um, a few years ago, I think it was like four years ago, we went to Disneyland. Um, my dad, every few years, would pay for our entire family to go to Disneyland. And um, this year, my dad's mom, my grandma Gina, was there. And uh, I don't know if she had just hurt her knee or if it was an ongoing thing. But basically, the first day it became very clear, we're just barely inside the park, that this isn't going to work, you know, for her walking. But she still wanted to try. And so I just said, well, grandma, just I'll walk with you. You know, my kids have been to Disneyland before and it's crazy and we've got uncles and different people to take them on the rides. I'll stay with you. So she leaned on me. You know, I kind of held up her elbow and she leaned on me for most of the first day. And we talked and she's talking about her childhood and she's talking about like the relationship she had with her parents and her siblings growing up. Things that I had probably heard before, you know, maybe heard it discussed or maybe she'd even told me. But, um, maybe hadn't heard it all together in a story form, right? And so one of the things she was telling me is, you know, she's in her early 70s at this point, and one of the things she's telling me is what God is doing in her life right now. And she's saying how she did this, like, prayer counseling session with someone, and she got her identity back. And I was like, what, what do you mean? And so she tells me this story of how when she came from a large family, and uh, they, they loved God, but um, her, her father was more of a harsh man. And, you know, she didn't really know, um, didn't have a really close relationship necessarily. 
um, with him and then lots of siblings. It was a Puerto Rican Italian family. So um, lots of intensity, lots of tears, I'm sure. (laughs) And at that, probably lots of like, you know, physical beatings at that time. But she was born, but before she was born, her parents had gotten pregnant with a little girl. And um, this, her, her older sister was born with a, a rare disease where she was born without any skin. So she died instantly. And they named my grandma's older sister Genevieve. Well, then they get pregnant again, and they have a girl, my grandma Gina. That's why she goes by Gina. And they name her Genevieve to replace the dead daughter that they lost. And so I remember my grandma telling me, and I'm just like, whoa, oh, wow. And she said how she lived her whole life feeling like she had to make up. Her life was only important because she had to make up for what her parents lost. Can you imagine living your whole life like that? But what I focused on was grandma. Here you are in your early 70s, and you're getting your identity back. <laughs> wow, you're pursuing healing. You, you've got your whole life ahead of you. You've got 20, 30 years ahead of you, Grandma. You've got 20 or 30 years left to live in your identity of who God made you to be. Now, the next day, <laughs> we decided that wasn't going to work. The next day, we got her one of those carts that, you know, you sit on to go around Disneyland, that was a disaster. She was running into people left and, left and right. Um, but I was really thankful for that first day of getting to walk around Disneyland with my grandma and hear her stories and listen with compassion. I remember hearing my, my mom's mom, we called her Obachan because she was full-blooded Japanese, and hearing her stories of how she met my grandpa. He was in the Air Force. He went over to Japan. Now, remember, this is post-World War II. And she thinks he's handsome. They get together. But her whole family disowned her. It wasn't until it was like later in her life where finally I believe one sister reached out to her. Um, and they ended up having a relation though the language off because she married an American. So then she moved to the United States, didn't know the language. Um, I just, compassion. You can imagine how hard other people have it. Now, this is not just older people, though. Please take some time and find a middle schooler or a high schooler and ask them what their day is like at their high school or their middle school. Ask them about the things that they're being um, bombarded with, okay? Ask them. Get into their world a little bit. Listen with compassion. Lastly, we need to lean into connection. Connection is a verb, And it's this act of linking one thing to another. One of the definitions said it's the placing of parts in an electrical circuit in contact, in contact, so that a current can flow. And that's where I got excited. Because I was like, yes, there is a flow. There's an electrical current. There's a move of God, the spirit of God, that we have to be connected to. We have to be connected to each other in order for that current to flow. And he doesn't want it to stop with each generation. He doesn't want to have to start over again. He wants it to flow seamlessly through the generations. He wants it to go on from one generation and to the next generation and to the next generation. Because in the Bible, in the, in the Old Testament, you would find that, that the, there, was a, there was a burden placed on parents grandparents or older people if you just didn't have kids, but it was your job to tell the younger generation what God had done in your lifetime. 
That's how the flow continued. You tell the younger generation, here's how God has been faithful to me. Here's where he showed up. Here's how he performed miracles in my life. Here's how he healed me. We're supposed to pass that on, and it's not supposed to stop. Connection involves incarnation, and that's just a big word that just basically means in the flesh, but what it really has to do with is entering another person's world, and when we talk about incarnation in the Bible, it's Jesus, who is God, entering our world as a human. Um, Let's turn real quick to Philippians 2. Philippians 2, 1 through 8. I'm going to read this one in the message. So I guess you don't even need to look it up in your Bibles because I don't know if anybody has a message Bible. But he says, if you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, does anyone, (laughs) if you even have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor Agree with each other, love each other, be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves just long enough to lend a helping hand. Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave, became human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death and the worst kind of death at that. A crucifixion. If God did that for us, and if we're supposed to look like our Father, then we've got to do that too. And we've got to do that in, in this generational context. So some of that looks like parenting. If you're a parent, you know what this looks like. So much of parenting is dying to yourself and paving the way for your children to experience more of God, more of life than you did. You look at all the things that you wish you'd had, and I don't just give that to your kid things. I mean, emotional things. You look at the things you wish you would have had, and you try to create that and give that to your kids, right? And then even with the older generation, um, being humble and humbling yourself and and saying, you know what? I want to help you get ahead. That's what I love about working with youth ministry, um, kids ministry, is you're saying, I want to I wanna help you. I want to call out what I see of God in you. And we have to be willing to humble ourselves and do that. Higher, you know, older than us, younger than us. Because the other thing we can do is lean into competition. And that's to strive to gain something by establishing superiority over others um, who are trying to do the same. It's trying to get noticed and, and trying to be chosen. But we already found out in Colossians 3... We are already chosen. We're God's chosen people, so we don't have to compete with each other and have a poverty mentality. Well, like, well, if I get it, if you're getting attention, then I'm not. And if you're getting honor, then I must not, there's not enough honor to go around. There is. And the more we honor each other, the more we listen to each other, the more we learn from each other, there's just that much more of God's goodness to go around. We don't have to be stingy with that. A great example of this would be Harry Oldenberger. 
um, you know, he's in his 90s and, and he's in a, in a bed right now. Um, he has faithfully discipled young men, taking them out to coffee. And I remember him getting older and almost thinking like maybe he would kind of just start discipling guys that were older, but it's like the whole gamut. But he reaches out to young adult guys. And um, I, I love that he connects with them on Facebook he learned a new technology, you know, so that he could now encourage people on Facebook. So maybe he's not able to meet them for coffee, but he can still reach out to them and do that. Like I said at the beginning, I love to learn. I love to learn. I love knowledge, um, and I love just growing. I never, ever want to be stagnant. Um, and I do. I want to learn. I want to learn more about people around me. Like I said, it's not like I'm up here because I'm doing this so well <laughs> that I'm this poster child for it. Um, because I can let my pride, I can let my fear, I can let my busyness, you know, I can let my ignorance or lack of awareness really keep me from learning, from being curious about people around me and their stories. Um, it can keep me from having compassion, and it can keep me from pursuing connection. It can keep me from pursuing that unity that I believe is going to lead to revival.